Fight Club. Film Fight Club. Welcome to Film Fight Club. It sure is dusty in that TARDIS. I know. It's only it's bigger in the inside. Welcome to uh, the future listeners in 1998, because we've just jumped out of a big blue time machine from 20 years in the future to trash your most popular movies of the year. Yes, it is. I feel like this is our default theme song now. We play it more than our only, actual Only theme for song. the episodes that we've been back into the past. We've uh, we've all come in the TARDIS back to 1998 in order to review some of the biggest films of the year. Yes, it is not just 1998. It is July 18, 1998. And if the BBC producers are listening, please bring back Doctor Who. You counseled it with Sylvester McCoy. We love that show so much and we really, really want it back. Something Glenn, tells me that it will come back. Glenn is trying to bite his tongue here a little bit because he doesn't want to change the course of time too much by letting anything big slip. True. But uh, I, I won't say any more on that subject. You won't say. Yeah. So that I, we don't erase this show from existence. Yeah, there's someone if, yeah. called David Tennant who might be influential. Yeah. If, if, but, yeah. if you're hearing the this... Scottish theatre actor? What? Yeah, he played Hamlet. If you're hearing this in 1998 or 2018, it means that our mission to... Uh, spread our views <laughs> back into the past was a success, and Film Fight Club continues to this day. Film Fight Club reigns on radio, though, where there's going to be no other information format where people can get their things out. So, <laughs> so everyone's going to be listening to a beautiful. Yeah, what is a radio. podcast? I, I keep hearing. Pod- people, yeah, of... people, people aren't going to be hearing Vlogging? this by podcast, but they will just randomly hear an episode from the future, I suppose. Well, actually, no. Um, as we learned from this recent Buffy episode, um, where uh, what's her name Willow is teaching Giles about the interwebs. Um, there are these blogs online and Dark Horizons, popular web Oh, yeah, blog. yeah. No, Based yeah, out of no. Sydney, actually. Yeah, yeah, really good. One of the most significant film sites in the world. Started last year. Yeah, yeah. And, and I met these people who called them, um, themselves vloggers or vloggers. I don't know who they are. I, I, I don't know what that is. Yeah, but it seems like a fad. I'm pretty sure it's going to blow over. We should get, get in on that. I'm speaking of fads. Um, this, these two roommates in Stanford started, are about to privatize this company, Google. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Hope that hope that takes off. So we but we are talking about <laughs> that. But, but, you know, we don't care about that. All we care about here on Film Fight Club is movies. Movies. Just mo- shovel popcorn down my yeah. throat. Sit me down to watch all the movies. Exactly. And, in, in in dark rooms and, where I pay money and with popcorn, which is not overpriced, yeah. and with commercial value. Yeah. But I, yeah, yeah, I've seen Titanic four times now. It just left cinemas last week. But uh, yeah, some of the biggest uh, films of 1998 are arriving <laughs> right around now, right actually, around now. which is why we've picked this time to launch our big dusty blue box. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the biggest, uh, most influential Bollywood films called Satya released last week by a little-known director called Anurag Kashyap. He might make something influential called Gangs of Wasipur, which might be known as the Indian Godfather series in the future, but I don't know. Wow, that's it's, it's very... That's very Virat. It's definitely a Virat moment. Yeah. Dropping Bollywood knowledge on the the denizens of the past. Because we cover all the world. It's all the world in 1998, you know, and you might know something about the world. There's a lot going on, including there's something about Mary, which had its release three days ago. We'll also be talking later in the program about a film that is coming out on the 24th in six days, which is Steven Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan. A lot of hype around this one. Oh, yeah, it's big. It's got Tom Hanks, two-time Oscar winner now, um, quite the cast. A uh, new up-and-comer, uh, what's the guy? The guy from Rounders, from uh, Good Will Hunting. Oh, Matt Damon. Matt yeah, Damon, yeah, yeah. He's got you know, yeah, fresh and, up an Oscar he, nomination. Yeah, and he needs a lot of saving, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be a trend 
going in the future. And we'll also be talking about later in the program Armageddon, which has been out for just a couple of weeks. A couple of now. weeks, but yeah, you know, the biggest movie of the year so far. Yeah, much better than it was. You know, it was at least the same day as Little Weapon Four. Really? Yeah, what a bad movie. God. Yeah, not very, not very memorable. But what was a much more memorable film, which may be a classic in years to come, is the Farrelly brothers, the directors of Dumb and Dumber, and There's- Kingpin, also a really good underrated film. Yes, something about Mary, starring Cameron Diaz, who you might remember from her breakout role in The Mask a couple of years back. You know, she auditioned as an extra for that, but got the main role. She has a definite charm to her, which the Farrelly brothers use to great advantage in this film. As it also stars Ben Stiller and in the main role, and Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon, we may see him things from him. I wonder what he'll be doing... Yeah, years and years from now, it's going to be very interesting. Matt Dillon honestly steals the show in this film. What do we all think of it? I liked this film. This was a bit of a different shot in terms of comedy. It may, it is in terms of, it's a gross out film. It's a gross movie. There's a lot that happens here, which is cringeworthy. There's a opening sequence, which of just about anyone is almost painful to watch and it's sure to go down infinitely. But more so, there's a scene later in the film, which has got a lot of media traction involving something Cameron Diaz does. And it's been used a lot of imagery for this film, Um, but it's pretty out there, but I think they've hit a lot a lot of the nails on the head. Okay, I think the gross-out comedy in this film isn't as effective as it was in Dumb and Dumber, in my opinion. I think, um, you know, back when I first saw this film, before I traveled back in time, you know, the early... Uh, the early scene involving a zipper and Ben Stiller oh dear, made, that was me, painful. made me laugh a lot. Now it's just now it's just cringe, right? Now it's just like oh god, Jesus. But I mean, there's an energy to that anyway. You know, it's it's entertaining. But I found looking at this film that the gross-out aspects are less effective than some of the more low-key jokes. Um, the Okay, I'll give it away, 1998 Citizens. The semen hair gel gag, um, I think, even though there's a great you know, visual joke of the reveal of Cameron Diaz's hair, isn't a very well-constructed joke because um, it breaks the internal logic of this world. The whole Ben Stiller, where did it go thing. Like, if, if that's hanging off your ear, you're going to know. You know, I like jokes to make sense within the world of the movie we're in. I would say the same for some of the stuff about Around the Dog. It brings the house down. It's very silly, um, but I think it's it's too over the top and too broad. What what I find hilarious, on the other hand, uh, um, anything involving Matt Dillon's character and his lies or Ben Stiller ending up on Cops, like it's the more low-key comedy, the mis- misunderstandings, the more classic sitcom-type oh, stuff. The scene in the uh, interrogation room. Yes, I was, I was thinking of that one as well. Yeah, it was fantastic. That's, that's all really funny. I think it, um, it's being hyped up as the big gross-out sensation, but I think those scenes are there to grab media attention, and, and the most of the great comedy set pieces, the better ones in this film, would be just as home in a movie in, from the 1960s or so. Yeah, I'd extend your criticisms, though, to the Cameron Diaz's roommate, who's just misplaced here. It feels like she's in some sort of Jerry Lewis 50s type film. <clears> she's very much outlandish, so. ridiculous characters who yeah. don't really exist at all in real life. Yeah, very much so. But also, I think uh, some props to Cameron Diaz herself. Uh, she has really reinvented herself as a proper actress per se because when people saw her in the mask they thought oh you know she's very attractive but can she really act and uh she's really funny in this and uh, i'm pretty sure she's going to have a very strong career as a comedic actress in the future i don't know the future but it might be possible the cast are all really great and have good chemistry off each other but honestly yeah ben stiller has a very charming every man 
kind of quality to him. I, I hope he doesn't get typecast and gets to do some <laughs> dramatic stuff yeah. in the future. But Matt, Matt Dillon, as I said earlier, steals the show as this absolute creep private investigator. Um, it's the moustache that does it. It's the, the moustache and, and the eyebrow acting. What is surprising about this film is um, it's just a really strong concept. You know, as I was saying, it's not really the gross out stuff that holds this film together. It's just a, a fantastic concept. A man hires a private investigator to try and um, find his lost love, and the private investigator uses his um, spying techniques to try and win her heart and the competition between these two men. Um, and I think the, the film is very well paced and constructed throughout. Um, it's a really entertaining watch. Um, but I think um, the biggest problem with this film for me is the character of Mary herself. I think she's not um, you know, written as a real person. Like, Do you believe for a moment that this character is, like a, is a doctor you know, or, or is anything about her? Like, she's she's pretty much just written as a fantasy girl prize, and in that respect, I feel like the film tries to have its cake and eat it too, because, okay, spoiler alert for citizens of nineteen ninety eight, um, at the end of the film, Ben Stiller's character, um, does what I thought would make for a great ending for the film, which is except he doesn't really know Mary. He's been you know, he's in much the same place as a bunch of people who've been dishonest in trying to win her heart. Um, and he steps away from her. And I think this would be great because it makes the movie, it, you know, it it follows through on what the movie was really about, which was never really Mary. She's not much of a character. So outside of the chemistry between her and Ben Stiller, there's not really any you know, the, any real connection between these two characters. No. It's not developed at all. We see her as an orthopedic surgeon in one sequence, which is in her office. We don't actually know anything beyond about her, beyond yeah. how char- these characters and these awful characters interact with her exactly. life. And Ben Stiller has been sitting there pining for, what is it, 10 years, yeah, it's, having had no contact with her yeah, at all, absurd. post a bad prom night so event. So a real lesson, you know, a, gr- a good you know, trajectory for this movie, I think, would be him learning to grow up, which is what I think the film works towards in the final, you know, in the scene where he says, you know, whatever, I, I'm, we, we all just really like how she makes us feel about ourselves. We don't really know her. I'm stepping away from from this. And I think to see his character move on would be, you know, a great lesson and a great moral for the film. I don't think we're going for a, co- for a direct dramatic film, though. We're going for a comedy. It's a comedy, a but ending. no, it it can be a happy ending. It it doesn't need to. I think the movie betrayed its own themes. It can be a happy ending that he moves on and then is able to let go of this this trauma from the past and have a good date with another girl and realize that it, life isn't all about pining for and idealizing this one person. And how happy can you be when you see her end up with this absolutely? Horrible person who lies to her among a lot of people. But, who lie but to the guy that she ends up with turns out is the nice guy, Brett Favre. Oh yes, the NFL yeah. player. That's right. Yeah. Um. So. It just feels to me like having your cake and eating it too, that he comes to the right conclusion, the only one that makes sense for the character. But then the Farrelly brothers don't want the audience to go home without the boy getting the girl. So they say, oh, but it turns out that she's decided she really likes him anyway. And at the end, when that when that moment happens, I don't buy it because, as I said, Mary has never seemed like a real person. So it's hard to see into any kind of psychology other than that the movie's going into the old fantasy that until that moment it had seemed like it was trying to burst, that if you do the right thing, you win the girl, you get rewarded with the girl like a prize. And I I felt like the movie seemed like it was going in a very transgressive and and 
um, transgressive of romantic comedy formula and progressive um, idea, you know, in terms of ideology direction, and then cheats itself. Um, so that's the big disappointment of the film for me. And I think the Farrelly brothers realize that it's just, it's a bit of a silly ending and it doesn't really matter anyway, because as soon as he gets the girl at the end, they undercut that with a ridiculous gag, which is where their, their strong suit is, absurd comedy. Okay, uh, firstly, to defend a bit about the grotesque kind of element, I think at the time, which is today, 1998, when uh, something about Mary happened, grotesque comedy, it was something fresh, new, and it paved the way for a lot of appetite kind of humor, which will come in the future. I'm not sure when, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be a string of movies which explore grotesque comedy in that way. So I think there's something to merit about something about there Mary. There's something fresh about it, for so sure. At that point in time. And I think it still holds up because it's it's hard and it's in the right place. It's not played up in an insincere way. And I think that's something, that line is now very transgressive today where people deliberately play up grotesque comedy for those shock jock, sensationalist, media-savvy headlines. I think the media played it out of proportion. It's not as grotesque as people made it out to be. It's, yes, it's far-fetched. It is somewhat grotesque, but it's not, like, you know, it's not cruel to the characters. So in that sense, I feel it's empathetic. And also from a Nugget point of view, uh, seven years from now, in 2005, Bollywood is going to remake this movie in an entirely stupid way. So if you're looking for an incredibly stupid and unnecessary remake, do not watch that one. We're all looking for that. <laughs> We're all yeah. looking for that. Um, the one other, uh, on the last point in this film, I will give it props in that the one element that did actually give Mary some characterization was in her discussions of a beautiful film uh, I know my uh, oh, uncle's yeah. favorite, among his, his favorites, um, Harold and Maud. Yeah, which is very special and a, and a bit of a nice touch. Oh, actually, there's there's one little thing that I'd like to give cred for this. For two things actually, cred for this film for one is the great touch of the narrator um, throughout, who is a musician um, singing songs along the way. That adds a lot of flavor and humor to the film and his appearances to comment on the action like a Greek chorus. The other is probably the thing that's most progressive about this film is a scene where Ted, Ben Stiller, and Mary share a joint, which is played completely casually. And in a movie yes, like this, yes, a movie like this, you'd expect it to be like, whoa, we're high, whoa, reef, you know, but no, there's there's none of that. It's just it's it's not even a thing. It's just, um, it, it, you know, considering it, it wasn't to be legalized for another twenty years in some states, <laughs> this is very ahead of its time in treating it as a casual thing, as it is in many adults' lives. So that is there's something about Mary. It was in is in cinemas now, nineteen ninety eight July. Yep, um, this is where it, we are. So we're playing now Actually. the number one song that is. It's been number one for six weeks. Number one in America and Australia. Uh, do you guys know what I'm? We don't. About? You've hidden the secret from us. Let's find out. It's it's pretty special. It's related to the World Cup, which is on right. Oh now. no! Yes! Oh, oh no! Yes! yes. <laughs> Get out of my face!
and that was the World Cup song. I'm very disappointed with the World Cup final last week where France beat my team, Brazil. But hopefully in years to come... They're not your team, Glenn. They, they have always been my team, Virat. Thank you very much. <laughs> no. Since the early 90s, yes. <laughs> and... Hopefully, needs to come if there are later finals where France, Brazil, and some other teams, you know, get to that sort of stages. We hope they do very, very well. Now, our next film, which is in cinemas on July 24th in the coming days, is Saving Private Ryan, the latest film from Schindler's List director and Jurassic World director Steven Spielberg. Jurassic World director Steven Spielberg. Sorry, the Lost World. What What are you talking about, Glenn? (laughs) I meant the Lost World. What was it? The Lost World. Jurassic Jurassic Park. Park. That is Jurassic Park. (laughs) Yes, yes. I was confusing those. Excuse me. Wow, wow. Back in the Future Part 2. Glenn. That that was good. Um, (laughs) This is set in Normandy during the D-Day landings. It begins with the D-Day landings and is followed by Tom Hanks and his unit finding a man, Private Ryan, Mm. who is the last remaining brother of four, all of whom have deceased in the war. And he is sent by by the U.S. military to find this man who is somewhere deep within France who landed as one of the units. What did we think of saving Private Ryan? It's okay. What did you think? I liked the beginning of this film a lot. It is one of the best recreations of the theater of war and most palpable and most visceral, most violent and most I've ever seen. He lets, There's these wonderful shots where Spielberg lets the camera hover in the water as they land on the beach and then more and more as they go up and essentially get encroach on the enemy lines. The opening of the film is masterful and will be remembered. As the film goes on, however, I can't recommend it as much. I absolutely agree with that. To drop some knowledge from 20 years in the future, um, the way that this opening scene is staged will redefine the way that war films are shot. Um, you know, it's hardly the first film to shoot war as a um, intense, nightmarish, surreal um, cacophony of violence. I would point to the 1985 Russian film Come and See to anyone who's never seen it, which is an, an extraordinary depiction of war. And I think a more mature in it in the way that it evokes a nightmare than this film. But um, the opening of this film nonetheless finds new visual strategies in how um, jarring and discordant it is, how it plays with spatial continuity, um, which Spielberg is usually a master of making action scenes as clear as possible, um, now to confuse you and to amp up the, the disorientation. Um, it's unrelentingly cruel in the close-ups of people being dismembered and blown apart and... Um, you know, where it seems like death can come from any direction and there's no rhyme or reason to it. But as the film goes on, it becomes a very, I think, conventional war film. Um, I have some issues with this. Yeah, it goes into directions that we have very much seen before. There are some excellent actors in this film. Tom Sizemore, uh, Vin Diesel has a small role. Um, Brian Cranston is an up-and-coming actor. up-and-coming indeed. Yeah, very much so. Um, But I feel that... The the theatre which we see, by, by that I mean the theatre of war and the different set pieces, whether they be in the clock with the clock tower or as we go on, has were, were over across many films, including the so many fifties recreations of the Normandy landings and others, have been better recreated. You just have a better idea of the camaraderie between these units, which wasn't very well established in this film. Yeah, I don't think I think the film is exciting. Or maybe not exciting. It's entertaining throughout because um, Spielberg is such a master of just staging scenes that he keeps up a, a level of momentum and visual interest that propels the drama along. 
but I don't think the characters are particularly well developed, um, or at least not interesting. A lot of them stand as regular cliches that we've seen in many, many other war films before, which makes the film not the you know bold new vision of warfare that it's being advertised as. Still better than 1941. Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't seen 1941, but uh, I'll take your word for it on that. Um, but I, the bigger problems for me are I don't think the film has any real insight into war. I don't think it says anything profound, but it is bookended by sequences of such self-seriousness about, you know, with a mournful tone about respecting the troops and respecting um, the, you know, the sacrifice. The final sequence was very moving, I will say, when they jump forward. Right. Well, I, I disagree on that because I felt that the film didn't earn them. And on top of that... Um, I found those sequences fairly schmaltzy in and of themselves. Like I, I, I thought they were just way over the top, like layering music over, you know, a guy getting choked up. I, it felt like a manipulative way to cap off this this film. Um, and to go further, I think knowing that this is such a conventional war story to follow, um, that it's using. The oh, this right? Okay. Yeah, uh, look, uh, I agree with almost everything that both Glenn and Chris have said, but most importantly, but what I feel. Disagreeing. Uh, I, but I want to disagree on certain other points. But uh, the agree agreement is like I don't think the film prepares you from what boringly conventional film it is after the first twenty odd minutes. So I think you are lulled into thinking this is a more exciting film than it will be in the first fifteen odd minutes. And I do agree with the fact it changes the game and how these uh, war films are shot, and especially with that cacophony of violence. But also at the same time, I feel it's so preoccupied with that American mythos about... It opens you know, and closes with shots of the American flag. Yeah, yeah but, but also, which is just, you know, in hindsight, not the best kind of mythology building because we're just sick of it. Anyway. I, 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 no, hold on. This is, I will disagree strongly with that. This is a film about a period in history where American troops and many others bravely sacrificed many lives to storm Normandy beaches and carry out a campaign which was very crucial and it's a very different time from what we've seen in terms of many other films where I think you could where you, you couldn't characterize necessarily the campaigns or the further they're surrounded as such. I think my problem is look, I, I I'm not saying that that it, you know it's not worth making a film about the sacrifice and the power of what these men were willing to put on the line. But I think what the film ends up doing and becoming so conventional later on is basically using, especially in the final sequence, it's using the horror of, of this war that's established so well in the opening scene as a stage for Steven Spielberg to set, um, to stage exciting action movie sequences. And there's something discomforting about that I think a film like Samuel Fuller's The Big Red One is honest that it's a B movie, you know, and so you, I much prefer that movie, which is also about a small platoon, um, you know, making their way further into Europe, um, because it doesn't feel so disingenuous and self-serious in the way that it tries to frame basically an action movie um, in all of the, this flag waving and mournfulness that I don't think is owned by the narrative. A very quick rebuttal. Uh, I do agree that there is a film to be made about this campaign. I don't think this film is it. I think the idea that uh, 
This film is so full of its seriousness, but it doesn't actually give you any insight or psychological sort of development into what war does to people. It's more no, stage no set, set action, which is very disappointing. But also, I did feel the final sequence is not that moving. It's very emotionally manipulative. I felt the Black Adder season four's final scene is more moving than any oh, other. Oh, definitely, oh. definitely. So, honestly, Black Adder goes forward. Watch that instead of watching this. All right, on the final scene, um, I think for a lot of people who have experienced something similar, I think it is abundantly Relatable. I do agree that it didn't go into these issues as well as we would have liked. I think this could be better teased out in the TV series by the same sort of producers who may may come along in the Look, near future. I- I'm waiting for somebody else to redefine the war film. Hope's turn to Terrence Malick, returning after a 20-year absence at the end of this year with uh, The Thin Red Line, uh, uh, not uh, seen uh, since Days of Heaven. I wonder if that'll be good. <laughs> but, um, okay, one last thing about the final scene. It is a, a cheap narrative trick that Spielberg pulls here. The opening of the, of the film has a closer... A zoom in spoilers people there's a zoom in into this unknown soldier's eyes and then later on we move to memory you know well you can hear the sounds of the d-day landing which is establishing that he's remembering the d-day landing and then we are situated in the, the viewpoint of tom hanks's character the captain and then throughout that scene there's moments that place you definitely in you know subjectively aligned with him and later on in the film, there's even a zoom into his eyes that matches the one at the beginning. So everything in the direction is telling you this is the guy who's a li- who's telling the story at the beginning. And then at the, it's actually just a trick so that you don't re- um, predict this guy will die when at the end it's revealed that this guy is actually Private Ryan. And I feel that that's manipulative to pull in this kind of narrative. I'm going to defend it ever so slightly for the simple reason that it is established very early that Private Ryan was involved in the same D-Day landings at a different point. I've been to both of these points. They are too far apart right. and it is saying there is a commonality to experience even if they don't have this particular one so I appreciate your point but I don't think it's as egregious as that um, so the next film we will be talking about in a moment is Armageddon and here is the glorious glorious soundtrack in this sweet surrender I could stay lost in this moment forever I just said in the studio, should we spare the eardrums? But then I put on my broken falsetto just to, to damage them. So, uh, sorry, everyone. So, that was from Aerosmith, uh, the Steve Tyler's band. Steve Tyler is Liv Tyler's father who's yeah, in this and, and film. and Liv Tyler is Bruce Willis's daughter in the film. Yeah. And she, how good was she in Empire Records? She was good. Also, <laughs> Stealing Beauty. Yeah, I don't remember that one. Was that recent? No, no. There was uh, one of... Yeah, it was a good film, I think. So we are talking about another good film, which is Armageddon. It is out in cinemas now. It is starring... It's highly debatable, Glenn. <laughs> oh, no, no. It, no is, but it, it is not, it, sir. It, it is critic-proof. It is, yes, it's critic-proof. And it is starring Bruce Willis of Die Hard fame and Mercury Rising, which just came out last month. Yeah. Alec Baldwin, good dramatic actor. You should stick with that. And we also have 
Ben Affleck, who has come off well. The other fellow from Goodwill Hunting, yeah, Dan yeah. He might have a career ahead of him. And Billy Bob, Billy Bob Thornton, and Steve Buscemi, a firefighter in his spare time. Steve Buscemi is goddamn amazing in this movie. He's a, he is just incredible. And it is about, um, okay, it, this may sound a lot like a film that came out about six weeks ago called Deep Impact. Okay, some trivia. This movie was apparently hatched when a writer from, um, you know, the Disney was interested in Deep Impact and wanted to counter it. And a writer who ended up being one of the many writers of Armageddon had went had lunch with one of the writers of Deep Impact and wrote down a bunch of notes based on things that he heard from this writer. They they built the story out of Deep Impact. Oh my God. It's Deep Impact. Industrial espionage. I didn't like Deep Impact as much. I feel there was two very disjointed halves, whereas um, this was so much more fun. It is about an asteroid the size of Texas, which is shooting towards Earth. And we're going to be discussing more and more about this in our... Okay, there's a thing called a podcast that comes out 20 years in the future. Yeah, yeah, if you're listening now, you're just going to have to wait 20 years to hear what we think of Armageddon. Yeah. Otherwise, if you're listening to an in the future, just continue your look up or subscribe to the podcast. Um, yeah. And we're going to be doing more of these, probably just going back 10 years incrementally. We'll do 1990, mm. 1988X. But if you think there's a year that you'd like us to focus on or a date, let us know because we love doctoring in the TARDIS. It's what yeah, we do. I mean, it's it's an amazing year. 98, amazing films come out. So, yeah. Yeah. The, um, amazing the, year, the best. Yeah, Bullworth. As underrated. Person, huge, huge, um, huge. Oh, uh, huge are, are, are year, talking, huge. Are you talking about New property developer Donald Trump? Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, Rushmore. Man, that's one yeah, to look out to. Um, you know, uh, f- fresh out of um, Bottle Rocket, we've got Owen Wilson in Armageddon, and I've heard that he's co-written another film with with the up-and-coming director Wes Anderson, following up on their success with Bottle Rocket called Rushmore. So keep an eye out for that. Bill Murray's in it, having a comeback, I guess. Wow. Sorry, wow. that's not my yeah, <laughs> Owen yeah. Wilson that's, voice. That's, but that's, I that's pretty significant. Groundhog Day, yeah. yeah. So we'll be back in 20 years and one week with Debbie Zhao, and we will be talking all things. Maybe they'll make an ABBA film called Mamma Maybe they'll make a sequel to that. We don't know. We know. And also we'll be talking- We're from the future. The <laughs> we 20, know everything. 20, Listen to the podcast. The inaugural Taiwan, Taiwan Film Festival, which may inaugurate 20 years from now. But that will be... It will. It, it will. We're from the future. We're yeah. sorry to, to dump all this information yeah, on but, you. But later in the year in August, which is my birthday you month... You think we're making things up, but... but we're not. Oh, hold on a second. Chris Evans for Rotten Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night. podcast. I'm again. And we're back on the podcast for Film Fight Club, the 1998 podcast. How many podcasts are there in 1998? I don't know. Um... I'm sure there'd be what something is a podcast, like it. Glenn? There'd be something yeah. like it. There'd be some some kind of primitive yeah. audio recording. Cassettes. Floppy like, disk. My my internet radio show. Oh yes, internet radio show and floppy disks. They're like what sixty eight yeah. gig. Not gig. CD ROMs were well and truly in, in 1998. Yeah, Floppy yeah. disks were around too. Yeah, I remember. Like in Johnny Mnemonic when you had to put all that gig in his yeah. head. You don't want to have too much gig. Yeah. 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 Really what, is, what is a gig? Is, is it like a band? You know, Do you have a band playing somewhere? Oh, oh there's, there's lots of gigs. Yeah, I, I, I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah. I, know. I love going to gigs. Yeah, I love, I love gigs too. But this, we're not talking about gigs. We are talking about Armageddon. One of many, many great films come out in 1998. Mulan just came out. Um, if you are around at McDonald's, go to their get their Szechuan Mulan dipping sauce. It's really, really good. Like just limited edition, great stuff. Big Lebowski. Yeah, um, the Coen Brothers following up the breakout hit they had in Fargo. I wonder if they're going to make another sort of serious, serio comic film like that. But also, I wonder if there's going to be a TV series called Fargo. 
So you know why, that. Why, We're on the podcast, why, why, guys. You can drop the, the shtick. <laughs> We're on the podcast. <laughs> no one's listening no, in 1998. Not, it's 1998. It's not 1998. The X-Files movie just came out and it was amazing. And, oh my God, The Truman Show. How good was yeah, that movie? But also, good. X-Files, please don't come back and do a TV show. Please don't do that. What are our actual favorite films of 1998? Oh, Truman God. Show. Honestly, Truman Show. I'm, I'm going to say... It is, to no one's surprise, The Thin Red Line is probably my favorite film of 1998. Uh, the Thin Red Line, but also the extended version of that, which uh, I didn't get to see right. back in the day. Yeah. But eventually I did, because um, now we're dropping Chris the stick. Collection. But also... Uh, we're not dropping the stick. No, no. In, in, Rushmore. In, 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 Rushmore is actually one of my favorite films of the year, for sure. In, uh, Rush, wait, did you say Rush Hour or Rushmore? Rushmore. Because Rush Hour comes out in the month, too. <laughs> yeah, Rush, uh, Rushmore by Wes Anderson. Top, yeah. top notch. August 21. One of his best, honestly, still to this day, top three. August 21, just uh, one day before my birthday, uh, the Money Rotten film called They'll Say comes out with Shah Rukh Khan, one of my all-time favorite movies, with an awesome soundtrack by Air Rahman, which I've already played so many times previously, so it's a good film. Um, I have to, to give a shout out to a film coming out in two weeks, three weeks, Blade, so good, mm-hmm. so amazing. Marvel, long before its time, and in cinema, long before its time. Pleasantville and... Did anyone see Airbud Golden Receiver? I did not see Airbud Golden Receiver. Oh, um, out of sight. Out of sight was pretty good. That was terrible. No, it was that was in good. a port. The scene where the guy falls on the stairs and he shoots himself in the head. Are we? Are we actually going to say that Armageddon is good and Out of Sight isn't? Yes, Out of Sight is yes. actually is actually good. Steven Soderbergh took a long time to find his groove. Took Oceans. No, 11. no, he he had it right from the start. Sex Lies and Videotape is oh, one okay, of the best ever a... debut films. Okay, that is phenomenal. But that is an exception to Out of Sight. Man, um, just the lax reveals in that movie that it was in a fish tank and right behind that the 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 it, annoying, frustrating, dude, just out boring of sight, bank robberies. Out of Sight is so well shot. It's it's just. It it's just is different cool, from every movie. other movie. Sorry, you're missing out on actually the best movie called Ants. Yes, Ants. I love Ants. This I- was the year of um, studios trying to, uh, we're on the f- podcast, fuck each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we had the aforementioned Armageddon and Deep Impact. And we also had Ants in a Bug's Life where studios put together rival projects you know, with the same... The same concept. I am going to jump forward this once. Uh, when I was young, I saw Ants, and I loved Ants so much, and watched it over and over again, that I refused to see A Bug's Life, because it was too much like Ants. To this day, I have not seen A Bug's but Life. But you know A Bug's Life is actually the originator film, and Jer- um, I think the story is Jerry Katzenberg, who became the CEO of DreamWorks Animation, was used to be the, the head of Disney Animation, and so when he left, he said, hey, you know, Pixar are working on A Bug's Life, and brought that concept to DreamWorks, so they tried to make a copycat film and beat them out. So similar to the Deep Impact Armageddon. Very much stuff. so. I wonder if years to come we'll see more and more of these films just like slotting up against each other from rival studios. Um, what about Osa Snake Eyes? Terrible film. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it in, in too long to count. I'm usually a big um, uh, De Palma fan, but yeah, he can be up and down. Oh, a, a very underrated film from this year is Babe Pig in the City. The long lost Mad Max with Pigs movie. Not not Thunderdome, which also has pigs. This is This is the real... Mad Max pig movie. I'm um, sorry, my favorite film. I have to give it to The Wedding Singer. Oh, really? Oh, right. Beautiful. What do we like? Um, Godzilla. Great yeah. movie. Yeah. The fun. Roland Emmerich. One. No, no, yeah. it's not a great movie. It's actually. <laughs> so much fun. It's actually. It Madison Square Garden. It's actually and just. Matthew Broderick. It's actually just goddamn boring. The reason why Armageddon, I think, beat um, at the box office Godzilla, despite Godzilla being more hyped, is that Michael Bay could just deliver the nonsense better. He one-upped Roland Emmerich at his own game. 
which is what we're talking about with Armageddon. We have to get on also, to talk about American History X. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my Mas- God. Masterful film. Yeah, amazing performance by someone who's going to have an amazing career. Yes, as will Antonio Banderas, who was just in The Mask of Zorro. Oh, God, no. I hope not. I, I hope he does better projects. Uh, he, he, he will. Um, but, yeah. Catch me the Jones, though. Oh, my yeah. God. So Let, much in love. Let's talk about Armageddon. Because I have to get out of here and see basketball. So let's, oh, talk, yeah. about, <laughs> let's talk about Armageddon. Yep. So this, uh, okay, there's a line in this film where the William Fitcher character looks at a character who's gone off the reservation and says, oh, no, he has space, space dementia. dementia. <laughs> it's all you need to know about this film. This movie is really, really special. Um, I, I said to Virat before we started recording this that like, it's critic-proof, and with that in mind... It's hard to know how to go into talking about it. Um, I would say, look, the script, and so much of this movie is just so bad. Like, so, 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 so unforgivably awful. But it's held together by the sheer force of Michael Bay not caring at all. (laughs) You know, um, putting everything, you know, ramping all the levers up to maximum all the time. Like, the the sequence, the, the, the way that... Okay, this movie is constantly jumping around tones. Like one moment we're learning that the world is possibly going to end in a couple of weeks. Next, it's like do 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 blue collar humor. Isn't it funny that Bruce Willis is smashing golf balls at Greenpeace? Yeah, take that Greenpeace! Oh my god, Michael Bay's right wing craziness is on full display here. Oil just blowing up everywhere and just polluting the ocean, and no one seems to give a damn while he's trying to shoot. Ben Affleck. Yeah, yeah, which, like, this guy is just a giant asshole. But, like, you know, the movie isn't smart enough to realize that you might think that. Well, he's, you know, he's... I know the movie makes a joke out of it, but, like, I was thinking, like, it's really not that funny. A guy chasing, you know, shooting at a guy because he slept with his daughter. Yeah, he, he could have hit him. That's pretty damn violent. Yeah, are, we, are they even in the U.S. jurisdiction? Joke, yeah. Can you just get away with it? Man, the, the worst... Speaking of um, weird tonal shifts, we have Michael Bay's signature racial caricatures with a, you know, black guy, you know... Michael Clark Duncan. No, 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 no. The guy, the guy who's in L.A. when... Um, when meteor shower goes, we just spend a little while on this character who's much like other Michael Bay racist cricketers in movies to come, like the um, the 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 ghetto robots in Transformers Two. <laughs> he makes a Transformers movie. That's <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But um, but yeah, this, this everyone knows Glenn. Uh, he the, made more than one. <laughs> there's this thing about like, this this guy on a motorcycle. Sorry, not on a motorcycle. On a on a bike riding into the city with his little dog and getting into an argument with some guy. And um, the whole thing is like, look at how funny this guy is because he's so black. And then will the dog survive? Like, it is just so amazingly stupid. Oh, it doesn't like Thailand. Oh my this, God. This, Southeast this, Asian nation gets so destroyed bad. in this. Just in the Shanghai. Yeah. It's Shanghai. It's Shanghai. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's not as when Shanghai, when Shanghai gets it's introduced, it's... Look, when Shanghai gets introduced, it's like look at mystical Asia with the with the wizened ones. Like the whole tone of it, everything is just so so bad. I mean, I mean, this this film is kinder to dogs than it is to black people. Oh yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. which is sure, amazing sure. to think about it. Look, but um, also I think this film has amazing recall value. Like if you think about it, uh, this idea that Bruce Willis is playing a complete asshole and uh, then is you know. If you look at that image of him, Jesus Christ, and blowing himself yeah, up, yeah, yeah, that end. is repeated in another film ten know, years no, but later. It's different. This movie enters a strange kind of space where I w- I'm incredibly entertained by it. I wouldn't say that it's ironic appreciation because I'm definitely 
actually entertained. But the reason I'm being entertained is because I'm constantly dumbfounded at the absurdity of what I'm being shown by by Bay in the script. And this feeling of stupefaction goes hand in hand with some of the actual enjoyment that comes in because Bay is actually quite a skilled technician in his way. Like it's some of the, the searing colors and action montages are actually fun to watch. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to think about it, the fact that Bay can continuously ramp things up to 11 and yet keep somehow superseding that level. You know, like everything yeah. is already turned to 11. If everyone is always shouting. If there's yeah. humor, it's the broadest humor in the world. If there's an action scene, we've got to have a million different angles and it's edited <laughs> so fast so that you get to see every single part of the destruction. Yeah. Oh, um, like, 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 you know, when, when you're watching yeah. like a soap opera when you have those amazing camera angles from 10 different things. Yeah, like, like, zoom, 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 yeah, zoom. Yeah, yeah, it's like, like somebody that. says something like, oh my God, you know, and they make a punchline. So you have to like zoom in from like 10 different angles. This, yeah. this is this movie. The real... Except to sustain it for that long. There's it's n- amazing. The thing about this film is there's no actual engagement with the narrative. Um, like the mo- Nothing in this movie is real. There are no real emotions at all. There are no real characters. There's not even real scenarios. Bay's style is so propulsive and all-encompassing that the story is Michael Bay's way of shooting the movie. But is, is, that, that, is that's the, that's but, all you but, watch, but Michael the, Bay's like montages and flashes of color and people yelling into the camera, and the camera's always zooming around someone in, you know, at NASA. The, like, there's always a steady cam going in. Um, or if, if there's a romantic scene, it's always shot like a postcard at sunset, and there's always helicopters flying overhead. Like it, the style is everything because everything else is so absurdly fake. But this is the point. It's supposed to be blustering stupid. There's a nine-foot nuclear weapon which just decides to, oh, start ticking. There's these military do these things which makes absolutely no sense. They have no backup plan except for sending these engineers into the middle of space who have never been That's astronauts a, This before. is another goddamn stupid thing. Instead of teaching the astronauts how to drill, they decide, oh, I guess we'd better teach the drillers how to, uh, how to become space points that out in the film. No, well, the drillers, the you know, Bruce Willis comes in and they say these are these are the guys we're sending up. They're trained astronauts. We've been teaching them how to drill. Bruce Willis says, you know, when he's asked to teach them how to drill, no, I can't do that. Um, you know, you'd better instead sending my guys up, give them a crash course. And Billy Bottomfold's like. Yeah, sure, whatever. We're okay with that. Speaking of which, all of the the montage scenes of these guys being prepared for space, it's fun because of the way that um, Michael Bay shoots it, but it's just so stupid. Like, and this is the one of the parts of the movie where it actually, you know, the illusion that Bay's directorial style is able to uphold falls away, because um, I think the the comedy is really bad like it's never ever 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 funny nothing that's intentionally funny in this movie is ever funny um, I, it is hilarious there are several hilarious sequences in this movie Steve Buscemi and everything he okay, ever did Steve Buscemi is really funny yeah. but, but, but Steve also- Buscemi is you know acting like he's in a, a goddamn stupid movie and, and playing it that way whereas like the actual scenes of comedy and comic relief and whatever are always without fail Terrible. That's because of Ben. I, I ran it down to Ben Affleck, though. But like, like you know, the stuff about like, yee hoo, we're gonna go see strippers and 
Oh, yeah, Mr. Spaceman, like, it's all terrible. None of anything that that's written that, like, that, this is the thing. I don't think this movie is actually intentionally funny. I think they, Michael Bay knows he's making a goddamn stupid movie, but I think he's playing it to the lowest common denominator. Um, it's not like Big Trouble in Little China or something where it's, like, ironic to the extreme. Like, they, they mean this. This is, like, a movie for really dumb people. But, like... Well, this really dumb person loved it. <laughs> this, look, I enjoy it, too. I did, I think, but I think it's been made for really dumb people, but reaches kind of like a level of like so being so its own thing in the process that it, it has a certain kind of just a magic of you know what the hell am I watching that keeps it together? Okay, firstly to defend Ben Affleck, he makes he bef- has another worst performance. He is in the most film. annoying character I've yeah, ever seen yeah, yeah. in a film. In this, the, no, awful, the animal crackers scene. There's a no, romantic oh scene God, in this. That was right. horrible. His, Glenn, I'm hoping you're seeing it now. That this is actually just a terribly written film, but it's hilarious because it's, it's so bad. Of course, Michael Bay is adding <laughs> everything up. Wait, no, everything is bad. <laughs> no, everything is horrible. <laughs> everything is horrible. You look at a romance scene, and it's and it's like the most it's cringeworthy the thing ever. Everything is The sacrifice at the end is. It's hilarious in the way Michael Bay shoots it. Like everything's like every like. Did you remember? It's supposed to be random. Like, it, spo- cra- it is supposed to be okay, that crazy. Spoiler alert: When Bruce Willis blows himself up, we can't just see the images go through of his daughter as his life flashes before his eyes. We've got to hear on the soundtrack of the jujun 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 noises as the images flash by, and then we cut <laughs> but it's from high stakes. We it's cut a meteor space. coming to Earth. Yeah, we cut in space from Bruce Willis, you know, in his spacesuit. To Bruce Willis in a studio, lit up as beautifully as he can by the former Playboy video director and former commercials director Michael Bay in a studio doing a Jesus a Jesus pose while the camera zooms in and sped up film, you know, just flashing by quickly, just just in, subliminally as if the audience don't quite get the point. There was some great imagery coming there too. What about the hand on the monitor? Liv Tyler running past the astronauts as Ben Affleck gets off the oh, plane. Oh man, speaking of Liv Tyler, like. This movie, going into just how it's all terrible and it's and Michael Bay is so goddamn shameless that it becomes amusing. Like we we can't just have one shot of Liv Tyler, you know, looking sad, thinking about the fate of people in Earth. We need to have like fifty of them. Whenever anything goes wrong, there's another reaction shot of Liv Tyler looking sad in the control room. If it's not Liv Tyler yelling and screaming in the control room. Speaking of which, why is Liv Tyler in the control room? Okay. Uh- Back to Ben Affleck. Firstly, I think so his, most, his most annoying performance is not in this movie. It's in a movie called Jiggly, which he does with Jennifer Lopez. I never saw that. Uh, you you have been saved. Uh, literally, you have been saved. Uh, honestly. <laughs> oh, Jennifer Lopez of Out of Sight fame. Uh, <laughs> no, Jennifer Lopez of Jenny from the Block fame. She's great there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Waiting for but the night. Like, I, I hope, yeah, she does music and a lot more movies. Anyway, that's, that's a different point. Uh, to go back to this idea, there's something... I think inherently enjoyable about someone like Michael Bay not giving a fuck. I agree. I he mean, goes I mean, so just far not giving that a it fuck. It is enjoyable, but also at the same time, it is so pronouncedly Bay. Like you yeah, know, it's, there, very, it's his no, own style. He has no a signature. One, there's no one who can 
just outthink this. Like, you know, you, you have to be a special kind of dumb, but also, in a way, a special oh, kind of genius. Wow. No, but, you know, but, but this is, I think, Bayard's best because. Um, Bayard's best, sir, is The Rock. Oh, the okay. best 90s action. Yeah, film. The, rock, the Rock is also great. The, but, like, this is much better than the stuff he'll do 10 years from now, you know, Transformers, etc., because yeah. this has at least, you know, as you say, like the high stakes. You can you can go along with the story to in it in its dumbness here, whereas in something like Transformers, it's just like who cares? Okay, this film is a music video. I don't see anything it's wrong a music with that. Video, yeah. I enjoy watching music videos. I enjoy watching Aerosmith videos. I enjoy oh, watching Michael it's Bay music 100% videos. One hundred percent commercial and music video aesthetic. What is wrong with that? It's avowed about that. We know what it is. We know they're going to go up to space. We know there's some ridiculous, preposterous plan. Yeah. We know shenanigans are going to ensue on the asteroid. Look, we know these are hopelessly underqualified people, and that is half the fun. It, yeah, look, I, I agree. It's just, it becomes very hard to say. I know the answer to, you know, is it good or not, you know, is does it matter if you enjoy it? But it becomes very hard to say, like, am I enjoying this because it's good or am I enjoying this because it's so bad it's amazing when it comes to things like the endless live Tyler scenes, which, you know, which make me laugh or the Bruce Willis studio photography explosion at the end, which actually literally made me laugh out loud. Like, I, did, I haven't seen this movie in, in years. I used to take it kind of seriously <laughs> when I was a kid. This was the I ultimate... like a dozen times. Yeah, yeah, this was the ultimate like pizza, pizza night movie. Um, as I got a little bit older, I realized it was ridiculous, but I still kind of semi-took it seriously. And now looking, it now, introducing us. Yeah, now looking at it now, it's just, what the hell is this? <laughs> has there but been look, a better video film? No, no, no. Oh, no. Honestly, honestly, look, I want to... Look, this is difficult in the sense that... It's like... Part of me... Like... It's not only just about liking a movie, which is so bad that, you know, whether you, you don't know why you're liking it. It's also the fact that there's something inherently envious about the fact that Michael Bay just doesn't care. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I wish I was You have to that, be that privileged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I feel oh, I yeah, wish that... Privileged. Like, we're, we're woke in 1998. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, also but, like, no, but you come from a position of privilege to be... I know I know these are all cliches, but to be able to, to do this, you know? No, no, but also, he, also, also the fact that his... He was born in Hollywood, and you yeah, can tell. But, like, his idea uh, of yeah. making a commercially... No, but I mean, you have, to, you have to have been, like, brought up under, like, the glitzy Hollywood ideal to have internalized, you know, internalized that kind of imagery so much to put out something like this. It's a bombastic, but I like the yeah. bombast. But that's the thing, though, and, and, and I feel like the majority of people did like it, too, because it was the highest-grossing movie of 1998. It, yeah. So, it's it's amazing to think about that, the fact that Michael Bay... Okay, you may say whatever you want to say about him, but he does know exactly the kind of people he seems to be going out to. Most people in the world who went to see this film. No, no, but, 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 like, but, no, no, but like people were expecting this kind of movie. He wants to entertain you. And, and, That's and, it. He wants to give you and, as much as possible. Yeah. He wants and, to create like, his the idea ultimate of entertainment package. is that everything is has to be as simple in in very bite sized, easily digestible porridge form as possible. Except, but I think there's a method to the madness because the reason things are that simple is because he's giving you so much. You know, in this movie, you you might you get just a smidge of like scene of Liv Tyler shaking Billy Bob Thornton for considering detonating the nuclear bomb in space, saying, you know, that's my family up there! As if, you know, like, you know, ev- not everyone else isn't going to die. If, you know, you, you, you're given something really simple, um, and it, it's gone before you have time to think about how silly it is. Yeah. But, and then you move on to the next thing. It's like but, endless, but, it's but, like a machine gun. He's like the Gatling gun, but for some reason is on space 
Space invaders. <laughs> no, but there's space vehicles with Gatling guns on them for some reason. <laughs> oh, yeah, Drilling why are there vehicles. guns on this? Oh, so asteroids... Of course, of course, it's Michael Bay's yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so theory Michael... that, like, if if a gun will make it better, <laughs> let's have a gun. <laughs> if a helicopter will be a good a good touch in the background, let's have a helicopter. Yeah, and it's, it's like, as much it's as like I enjoyed... such, such a conservative right-wing kind of, you know... Just fast, like so much gun, oh, so Michael much Bay warfare. But you know, it's like, oh my god, I've got. The I've US got, military uh, loves Michael it, Bay, by the way. Oh yeah, totally, they well, would. You yeah, know, it's like actually, it's like people, people in the US. Films. You know, it's like yeah. we only have, I only have five handguns in my house. But look at Michael Bay movies. I wish I could own that collection. You know, so I don't know if that's what people are aspiring to. You know, you know, but like that, probably the kind of people who go out and watch his movies. Everyone, uh, everyone goes and watches his movies. And, and, the reason and, it's the highest grossing film wasn't and, just the right; it was many and, people. And, and, but like every, everyone, everyone, watched it, but yeah, everyone in the US, either way of the spectrum, the US is very right wing country. Has, though, let's be, let's it, be honest. On that. You know, even people on the left in the US own guns, though. Like you know, it doesn't matter which way you vote. That kind of gun culture is very. Emblematic of the US. People went to see the film, even if they were Greenpeace supporters, because they liked a big blob extravaganza. Yeah. And I've got to say, and as much as it's ridiculous when an asteroid splits in half like that, it, come on, I'm not an astrophysicist, but it wouldn't do that. It's a fun movie. And oh, I enjoyed look, Steve Buscemi you know, definitely blowing fun. stuff up in space. Going into this thing of like ironic versus unironic enjoyment, I brought up Big Trouble in Little China, which I think goes for a similar, like, this is so stupid thing, but there's the reassuring feeling of like, John Carpenter knows this is ridiculous and he's trying to give you something ridiculous. Whereas with Michael Bay, you're just not so sure. I think he kind of doesn't. He doesn't care about irony. Um, I think he knows it's stupid, but like does not care. Um, but you know, or, or I was thinking. I mentioned a couple of weeks back that when I saw Upgrade, I thought for the first twenty minutes, like, is this really bad? But then I thought, no, this is actually an excellent movie, just pitched as a B movie. Whereas when you watch something like Armageddon, there's so many terrible things through the whole runtime. It's not just like the feeling of adjusting to something yeah, that's stupid. Uh, because, because, that, like, uh, I'm just not sure, but. I guess whether or not it's ironic appreciation or not, I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But also at the but same like, time... you have to admit some of this stuff is bad, whether you enjoy it or not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bad movie. I enjoy it, but it's bad. It's a bad movie, but at the same time, uh, part of me can't help but notice the fact that look, Michael Bay... When he tries to rein it in and make something like Pearl Harbor or something a bit more, oh, which ha- no, which gives you room to no. breathe, and yeah. his idea of being Pearl emotional. a better film than Armageddon. No, 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 no. I'm, let me commit. Like, the thing is, like when he tries What's something, better film than Armageddon. I was asking if you thought. No, 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 no he's saying no, he's not. No, no, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm saying when he actually tries something which, in his world, is let let the scenes breathe because Armageddon is all about bam, 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 bam. Everything has to be quick, cut. It doesn't let you breathe, right? But yeah. when he tries to make something emotionally resonant in letting the scenes breathe, flat. it is so disingenuous. But it's, because, it's even worse. It's because, as I said about Armageddon, nothing is real in this movie. Nothing is human in this movie. But the but the style is so relentless that you you know that that's the enjoyment factor. Whereas when you he tries to inject something with real human emotion, you just see how fake and stupid it is. But but maybe like in the in case Ma- of something like Pearl Harbor. But maybe in Michael Bay's world. The only humanness he can find is in this caricature. Like, I, I feel like whenever Michael Bay tries to be human, he looks more like a joke. Like, you know, his movies come across as more insensitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I than agree. when he's not trying to. Like, I guess the artifice is part of his realness in some sense. Like, the more artificial he, his, he tries he shows to be. shows his artistic soul. Yeah. When he like, makes you know, a movie like Armageddon. Because it's all about quick cuts and he can rely on his music video prominence. It's about style for yeah. its own sake. You know, it's about and, like and he's gleaming. Really good at that. It's about so, like palm trees and gleaming gleaming surfaces of convertibles in LA, you know. So, that that's what Michael Bay is really all about. So if you want your gleaming surface convertibles in LA, that is Armageddon. It is in cinemas. Oh, now, LA Confidential. In 
really good uh, film. Right. Yeah, that, yeah, that was 98, right? Or was it 97? Uh, no, that was 97, I think. Ah, uh, damn. Yeah, but came to Australia in 98. Uh, okay, uh, fair. We saw it later on. Fair. Um, yeah, it, there's been a number of Man in the Iron Mask was this year. Good just film. Uh, one okay. Yeah. One last one last criticism of Armageddon to <laughs> rewind the clock. Since rewinding done. the clock is is what this episode's been about. Um, I think it like two point five hours is is actually too much for something this dumb. I think it does get a little bit monotonous at times, especially because the the setting in the second half of the movie is is very sim- You know, the same thing over and over again. We're on this asteroid and things are shaking. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you know. It 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 maybe maybe lose fifteen minutes and you know it would be just stupid enough to sustain the runtime. I'd be okay. I'd be okay with that. But we could always fast forward our VHSs. And... Man, if you fast forward uh, Armageddon, I, I reckon you just get a headache. <laughs> Imagine watching this movie at double speed. The I, movie it's I, already I, at double I, speed. Yeah, 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 it's right, on VHS. Uh, it's as close <laughs> nice. to an acid trip that you can experience, Glenn. The, uh, in some no, ways, not saying that you well, like to. Actually, look, or it, recommending this, like, like, in, uh, like, yeah. If you watch look, it in, I mean, in fast forward, it's, fast it's just like it's more like it would probably be the acid trip of a Hollywood executive or a porn director. But like, I, I, I can totally, I, I can totally imagine like a group of Hollywood executives sitting around and Michael Bay pitching this, and they would literally be jacking off to this concept. Like you know, they, I can literally see them be like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, give it to me, give it to me." You know, you know, more guns, more action, more violence. <laughs> yeah, baby, yeah. So I, I can that, 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 that exclusive look at the reco- at the um, production pitch meeting for Armageddon. That is uh, <laughs> that is the way Michael Bay works. <laughs> Pretty much, like I, I can totally see that. I can picture that. It's a very bad picture, but I can picture it. Uh, wasn't I that don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> Cause uh, even when I dream of you, the sweetest dream will never do. I still miss you, baby, and I don't want to miss a thing. He sang about his daughter. <laughs> yeah, that was strange. Uh, actually, she was in all the Aerosmith video clips back in the day. Crazy uh, with Alicia Silverstone. Really, oh, really? Good clip. Wow. Yeah. Ah, Alicia Silverstone. Uh, she did a very good... Uh, Jen Austen movie remake, uh, Clueless. Yeah, that's Clueless. Uh, Wes, oh, Paul Rudd. Hopefully he goes on to make many more films in years to come. We may be seeing one after this that comes out in the very <laughs> distant future. I think, I think everyone knows we're in 2018, Glenn. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> this well, well, is just like really bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, it's 2018, but how good was that in 98? Can we just hang out hopefully, there for a Hopefully bit? it's bad, but good, like Armageddon. <laughs> yeah, 98 yeah, was a good year. There's a lot going on then. GST was a big thing. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. I remember those ads. Yeah, yeah. and Australia finally commenced it 20 years later, at least for like you know online purchases. So goodbye all my book deposit repurchases because now they're 10% more expensive. Yeah, and we're also actually at this point uh, questioning whether a first-term conservative government may go to an early election. This is also happening. Like, there's a lot that's reflected. Okay. Oh, back oh, back yeah. from film politics. GST. Club. Yeah, yeah. This was it was all. Yeah. The case. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, a lot. What happening around this time? Yeah, so that is Kosovo. Yes, there was a, <laughs> a Good Friday agreement was just signed. Oh yeah, and, and more positive news. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, and, little... and very important lessons about uh, screwing your staffers, uh, which has been perennial from the nineties oh, and God. now in, in, um, in twenty eighteen as actually, well. I looked this up because <laughs> I, I knew this would come up. Um, Ken Starr may next week recommend an indictment. This could possibly happen. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and you know, uh, Australian politicians, beware because those lessons might come back to bite you in 2018. Somebody called Barnaby Joyce. Yeah, someone called. Yeah, a Pauline Hanson was just elected. Oh dear. Well, and she's great. back in the Senate now, so it's like some things never change. 
You know, I reckon we should have uh, we should have made the whole the radio episode just all Armageddon. I could we could easily make the best thirty minute radio episode we've ever done just about Armageddon. So alone. Armageddon. But you have to listen to the podcast, which yeah, you already have downloaded because you're listening to it. Yeah, because you're the you're the chosen ones. Yeah, the, yeah. those who chose I, I, us, and you don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, you don't want to be... Ex- <laughs> yep. So, yep. Uh, so we're going to play you out with some wonderful, wonderful music, but let uh, us know... We'll see about that. <laughs> let us know if you would like us to cover a particular year at some point in the future or the past. If it ends in eight, it would be uh, ideal, because then we could do 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 yeah. years in can, the past. Can you imagine 60 years? Oh, my God. 58. That could be 58. interesting. Uh, what was 58? Mart- Marty was 55. Uh, the f- Wasn't it 50, 57? No, you're right. It was. Uh, yeah. uh, Best Picture in fifty eight. From fifty eight. Because oh, Ben Hur was fifty. Tom is fifty seven. Ben right? Hur was fifty nine. Right. Uh, Oof. I'm struggling now. Sixty eight was. Sixty eight would be great because it got Space Odyssey. Oh, sixty eight would be amazing. Two thousand one Space Odyssey. Um, Once upon a time in the West. Rosemary's Baby. Yep. Um, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. But you're free to pick any year. You did. We're not. Pushing you to any direction, you know, just pick a year, tell us. Just tell yeah. us. So, and but we will be back, as said, next week, which is in 2018, with the director of the Taiwan Film Festival. So De- it is 2018, eh, Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got me, you got me. And Debbie Jow talking about Mamma Mia 2. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night.